Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This week's episode is brought to you by Facebook, which has a new podcast called Three and a Half Degrees, The Power of Connection. This podcast brings some of the smartest minds in business together to talk shop, exchange ideas, and share the stories behind their successes and failures. Each episode features two of the smartest people in business today. One you'll hear about in the newest episode is Brian Manning from the fascinating apparel brand, Two Blind Brothers. All of a sudden you have the idea, oh my God, this actually can be a thing. And so you don't actually need to quit your job, invest every penny you've ever made, and then try and hope your company works. Look for three and a half degrees spelled out wherever you get your podcasts or visit facebook.com slash three and a half degrees to learn more and subscribe. That's three and a half degrees, a new podcast from Facebook. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. With me, very excited to have back our boss, the editorial director of Adweek, Jim Cooper. Jim, welcome back. Thanks, David. Good to be here. God, it's been a while. It has. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very happy to be with you again, though. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, We've also got back Kelsey Sutton, a tech reporter at Adweek. Kelsey, thanks for coming back on. Sure. Thank you for having me. And we have both of them on fresh back from CES. Hopefully you guys had a little time to recover from getting back from Las Vegas. And Not quite enough, but we're we're holding up. (laughs) We're, We're at least back on East Coast time. Well, good. And we can't wait to hear about all the tech insanity uh, that you guys got to experience. But first, we're going to talk about some Super Bowl news uh, because it is that time. Man, January rolls around. I should feel like I should take a step back and say this is our first podcast in 2019. So welcome to 2019, everybody. <laughs> we had like a few weeks of uh, just just kind of weird scheduling stuff. And so this is our first time actually getting back in the podcast. But I hope everyone had a great uh, Christmas, Christmas like feels a, a year ago now. So uh, I don't know, it, but we are now officially kicking off 2019. Uh, and uh, and I, you know, I didn't really have a space for this in the podcast. Well, maybe we'll uh, feature it more specifically later. But uh, we have also acquired another podcast. Uh, Jim, do you want to just take a second to talk about that real quick? Yeah. So we uh, we were really excited and pleased to announce. Uh, we announced it actually at CES that we even acquired this company called Marketing Moves. Uh, it's uh, run by um, a woman uh, named Nadine Dietz, who um, has done a remarkable job of really sort of getting into uh, the C-suite, specifically uh, targeting CMOs. And so uh, along with uh, her company, she has a podcast where she does uh, an interview series with CMOs. Uh, she's got dozens of them already in the can, and um, it's been really exciting to have that expertise uh, in-house, and we're in the process of trying to um, figure out how to best incorporate um, her with, uh, within the Adweek house, and uh, it should be really exciting. But definitely her mission is to get us closer to the chief marketing officer and um, what you know their roles and that evolving role uh, in the C-suite. Yeah, people who listen to this podcast probably know that, and, and this was very intentional when we launched, the goal of, of, yeah, that's probably an ad, is to be a place for the Adweek staff and maybe a few guests every once in a while to, to talk about the trends we're seeing, the news we're, we're excited about. You know, but it's very much a kind of a panel and conversation podcast. Uh, Nadine's uh, podcast, uh, CMO Moves, really good. It, and it's very different, but I think the people who listen to ours will also enjoy hers. It's a very candid conversation. It's I like that it's not – they don't get really bogged down in, you know, CMO jargon. She does a good job of kind of making it a very – 
uh, you know, casual conversation and you really learn a lot more about the people behind these brands. Uh, so, you know, there are you know quite a few interview podcasts out there, but I really think we got uh, just one of the best. And, you know, quick plug for uh, CMO Moves. So give it a shot. And we'll have Nadine on here too uh, sometime soon to talk about uh, kind of how she's built that and uh, some of her favorite conversations. But uh, right now we got to make, make some time for Super Bowl news and our favorite ads of the week. And, uh, of course, talk about CES. So let's get rolling. All right, Super Bowl time. Uh, the so far, uh, you know, we're still. I was gonna say early in January. I mean, we're we're like halfway through January. We're terrifyingly close to the Super Bowl, Jim. <laughs> I know. It's. Uh, I think CES is always uh, you know my start to the year, and uh, when I get back, uh, that's the first thing I thought about on the plane ride home. Was like, okay, Super Bowl time. I've got to <laughs> pivot to start really paying attention to what's. Um, coming out, um, the great thing is on adweek.com, we have an incredible uh, Super Bowl tracker. So um, I use that religiously every day just to sort of keep track of who's doing what. Um, and it's going to start rolling fast and furious. Uh, I think it, frankly, already has, which is a little yeah. funny to your point. Yeah. Kelsey, were you here last year for Super Bowl or is this going to be your first one at Adweek? I was not. This is my first Super Bowl at Adweek and it is certainly uh, heating up. <laughs> Man, it is an experience and, you know, it's evolved over the years, but now we've got this whole real-time coverage war room and, uh, and you know, we're live tweeting the game, of, of course, in the ads mostly, uh, but uh, just so much, you know, just Jim can probably uh, speak to this the most, but just the amount of resources and real-time coverage we've, we've expanded uh, with Super Bowl in the last few years, it, it's incredible to think back to how that's changed over the last just five years even. Yeah, I mean, we used just to, to cover it with a special issue in text and, you know, and then the occasional hit on some of the broadcast networks. Now it it really encompasses everything that we do and touches everything that we do editorially. And uh, it's been really exciting and fun. And the team's an amazing job of being you know nimble and creative about how we cover this really important inflection point. Uh, you know, in our in our calendar year, it's an incredibly important temple, um, and it's also incredibly fun too. Yeah, this will be my first uh, Super Bowl as the uh, official creative editor. I've kind of been the backup creative editor the last uh, five years or whatever uh, and have been live. David, you're not a backup to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I've been uh, the live tweeter for real-time snark (laughs) for the last few years. And that, I have to say, it is a... It is a stressful night to be like commenting in real time, uh, but uh, you know on things on a lot of these ads we haven't seen before, or just watching the response to it online. Um, but you know, so this year it'll be a little different for me too. My all-time favorite uh, memory of the ad week's like earliest real-time coverage was when we did a real-time blog of creative leaders uh, around the country. Um, this was probably like. I don't know, Jim, maybe six, seven years ago. But what what I remember is it wasn't like Adweek people. It was these creative professionals. And, you know, the first first quarter, they were all like weighing in with their ideas on the different ads. And the second quarter, it kind of slowed down. (laughs) By the third quarter, they were just drunk. (laughs) And like everyone kind of disappeared. And we were like, let's maybe not do that again. (laughs) <laughs> by the fourth quarter, they've all just gone completely silent. So I think we learned to just rely on ourselves a bit more and not so much <laughs> count on industry professionals to have to stay uh, you know, sober and cogent throughout the entire game. So let's talk about uh, this year, uh, what we've got coming. We've got, you know, a returning cast of characters. We've got uh, yeah, PepsiCo's going to be there with three spots. Audi's going to be back touting electric vehicles. Uh, you've got these kind of perennials like TurboTax, um, Persil or Persil. I can remember if I'm pronouncing it right. The the uh, d- detergent uh, Turkish Airlines is going to be back. Uh, although I have to say my favorite ads of theirs were actually their – I don't know if you guys remember, like three years ago, they did uh, pre-game ads with Batman versus Superman where they made fake Turkish Airlines ads featuring Metropolis and Gotham, uh, which were great. And But they weren't in the game. And since then, they've been in the game and – I haven't been quite as into it, but those were real good. Uh, so I'm always optimistic. Uh, M&M's uh, is coming back. Uh, they I bl- they were our cover story last year, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so good to see them coming back. Uh, let's talk about Skittles real quick, because last year they definitely did one of the weirder ones. Skittles, of course, their agency, DDB, uh, they did the exclusive The Rainbow where they made an entire Super Bowl ad for one person. I believe his name was Marcus Mendoza. And uh, then they just kind of teased it with some ads with David Schwimmer, uh, but didn't actually run an ad in the Super Bowl. 
which kind of broke their streak. This year, same thing. They're doing this very odd uh, kind of unofficial uh, Super Bowl thing. Is they, I believe, a 30-minute musical uh, that's going to kick off uh, Sunday and not be in the actual game. Uh, but, you know, I feel like Newcastle kind of legitimized this a few years ago, right, with Droga 5 and their If We Made It campaign. But, uh, you know, Jim, I'm curious your thoughts of these kind of unofficial Super Bowl uh, ads versus, you know, it seems like they're they're getting their money's worth without actually having to pony up the, what, $5 million, I believe it is now, for 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I think hacking the Super Bowl uh, and, you know, not having to pay the, the, the heft of that, you know, huge price tag um, has become more and more common, obviously. Do you point to the, uh, the Newcastle work from Drogo? I think that really sort of set the, the bar. Uh, and we've seen um, efforts, you know, like Skittles, where they will, you know, throw a lot of marketing around a stunt that's not in the game and get just as much lift uh, pre, during, and post uh, than, you know, spending the money on the 30 or 60 in the game. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, it's it's... It's interesting to walk this line of like, what is a Super Bowl ad, right? Like, this is something where we have to be the the kind of Super Bowl term police, uh, you know, in, because each year people say, well, we're going to have a Super Bowl ad. And we have to ask, well, like, is it regional? Is it national? Is it actually in the game? Is it one of these? But, you know, I, I think the, the, the smart brands are the ones that uh, can build you know, even longer engagement. I think the thing last year that really impressed me was that um, that Skittles and DDB were able to get, I think it ended up being something like a 14-minute live stream uh, that they ended up doing, showing, and, you know, tons of people tuned in. So it's like you're able to get, uh, you know, 14 minutes of content at a time when most people are paying $5 million to get 30 seconds. Uh, and it's, so really, you, it's really sort of Super Bowl marketing. Um, you know, they, they, they roll out this, these campaigns around the Super Bowl. Sometimes they do include a spot, but oftentimes it's just, you know, you know shoulder marketing around the, the scale of the game. And, you know, I think Skittles last year um, did a really good job of creating that sort of froth without spending the money. The um, In terms of some of the bigger companies coming back, Kraft Heinz is going to have their Devour uh, frozen food line, which is kind of the uh, more, I guess, millennial focused. Uh, they've done some good ads with, uh, they did one with uh, Deadpool. Uh, of course, everybody did an ad with Deadpool last year, but <laughs> Devour had a, a pretty good one uh, with him from a while ago. And so I wasn't too shocked to see them coming back. Uh, that's an interesting brand for, you know, Kraft Heinz. Uh, every, every year, every few years, they come back with a really interesting take. Of course, we all remember the uh, the Wiener Dogs, so the the... Uh, like running across the field. <laughs> I think that was a, a clear fan favorite that year. So be curious what they they do this time around. Uh, and then the sounds like the biggest player this year going to be Anheuser-Busch, uh, AB InBev. Uh, they are coming back big. Uh, see, according to our story, we've got... Uh, they're going to have five brands, seven products, and more than five minutes of airtime. Jim, that is a beast of a buy. Yeah, that's. I think it's their biggest Super Bowl push ever. Um, and you know they have all these products, and I guess they're what they're trying to do is quote unquote elevate beer. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but the you know they um, they have their sort of traditional Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, Stella, but then they got these three other brands they're trying to to push, and uh, I think that it'll be interesting to see you know how they can stay um, keep the, the sort of the swim lanes for each of these brands without confusing the consumer because it's that's a lot of Budweiser advertising in the Super Bowl. Uh, we were talking uh, before we started recording, Kelsey. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this as someone who probably is is more exposed to these kind of trends in the marketplace. But uh, you know, they're doing the spiked seltzer, uh, alcoholic uh, uh, you know, soda, soda waters, or sparkling waters. Uh, you know, it feels like this has got to either going to be that that kind of Zima type trend that everyone remembers from this period or could be the next big category. Yeah, we were talking about how uh, the spiked seltzer is sort of taps into uh, the consumer base that doesn't really like beer and uh, or maybe is concerned about the calorie content of beer. So, of course, you know, the Michelob Ultra is is the a calorie conscious beer beer option here, but then Spike Seltzer has has really come out in a big way in the last couple of years. Um, so it's it's interesting too because it's you know you think of the Super Bowl, you think of beer, 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 and Spike Seltzer is definitely a different sort of demographic. But it's 
certainly, you know, they're they're betting on that as as a really important buy um, to get in front of the the audience that's going to be watching the big game. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what how they uh, distinguish um, Bon and Vive. I think that's the brand they're they're advertising with Creative, and how they're going to make that sort of stand out from beer, 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 beer. <laughs> yeah, it's beer. interesting because I always think of like. You know, I, I'm a beer drinker, but, you know, every once in a while you want something a little different. And I think of every alternative to beer in terms of things that are in that same aisle. I think of them as just being super sweet, right? Like you've got cider, you've got – like in the last few years, we've had a bunch of uh, hard root beers, uh, things like that. And I just – I'm just not down on sweet. And I would say that that's probably, uh, you know, more in the millennial zeitgeist of, of folks really don't want – tons of sugar. I thought it was interesting. Uh, This past week, we also had a story about Bud Light is going to be the first major brewer to put uh, nutritional and ingredient labels on their beer, uh, which I, I, you know, I was honestly surprised Michelob Ultra probably wasn't the first brand to do that. But I have a feeling the motivation is the same that Bud Light kind of sees this as a way of showing when they know that the rest of their category has so many, you know, so many calories, to be one of the first to really put it out there, this is something because they're not regulated by the FDA. Uh, they're regulated by a different body, so they have voluntary ingredient and nutritional disclosure, unlike you know every other food and drink item. Uh, and so Bud Light kind of came out and said, well, "Well, we're willing to do it because it's the right thing to do," you know. And and whether that's really true or whether it's just because they feel it gives them a competitive advantage, uh, but I think it was definitely a sign of the times that they know that if if you really looked at how many calories are in beer it's it's not a small number uh but anyway so we'll uh oh i'm sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say frankly i would rather not look at a nutrition label when i'm having a beer but (laughs) maybe that's just me (laughs) well the uh the Michelob ultra spinoff pure gold is i guess is the first organic beer that's going to be advertised in the super bowl so that's interesting Oh, yeah, it is. Well, we will I definitely look up our Super Bowl ad tracker. Uh, it's easy to find. Just look up Adweek or just go to our homepage or you can look up uh, Adweek Super Bowl tracker. Uh, it's great stuff. And congrats to the very large team of Adweekers that's keeping that up to date. And with that, uh, we're going to move on to this week's ads worth watching. Pretty soon, we're only going to be talking about Super Bowl ads in this segment, so <laughs> it's nice to enjoy a few others while we can. Uh, definitely the most popular ad of the last week uh, was from France, uh, which is not, you know, it's a market that produces some pretty fantastic uh, creative. Uh, you've got, in this case, BETC Paris, uh, one of the best ad agencies on earth, certainly. Uh, our uh, breakthrough, or our, I'm sorry, our international agency of the year, uh, Rosa Park, is also out of France uh, from this past year. So it's, a, it's an interesting market. But this year they had an ad that it doesn't matter what country you're from. You kind of have to love this. Uh, it is a about a duckling, a little, little tiny duckling, and it's all animated, uh, who idolizes Donald Duck, like stumbles across a, uh, a Donald Duck comic, and uh, – just kind of falls in love with him, starts idolizing him and impersonating his gestures. Uh, and it's this really lovely, very lifelike uh, CGI. Uh, and it is all an ad for Disneyland Paris. And it's since there's not much audio, there is a really nice version of uh, The Impossible Dream from Man of La Mancha. Uh, and, uh, but there's beyond that, there's not much audio, so it's a hard one to share. But the the premise here is that this duckling ends up having to, once fall arrives and winter arrives, he has to migrate, and they go through some really brutal weather, uh, and and they they land and come out from you know cowering from all this rain and ice and snow, and they find that they're at Disneyland, and there's Donald Duck, and the the little duckling runs up and hugs Donald Duck's feet, and. It's, uh, man, it is just a, it is a sweet ad. And I showed this to my kids thinking that, oh, they're going to just love this. I look over and they are just bawling. They were, <laughs> they were crying so hard. And, and they were like, that's so sad. And, and, you know, it's not like they thought the ending was sad, but I mean, it just goes to show they packed an entire emotional story arc journey into this, this, you know, like what one minute, slightly longer ad. Uh, I'm curious what you two thought of this. Um, it definitely falls in that to the category of I will not cry <laughs> spot, um, which which you're very good at servicing, David. You've made me cry so many times in your in your with your with your uh, you know finding these these great ads. But no, it was it was it was, it was perfect in so many ways. 
Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes these, you know, you get, we get so caught up in like the creative that a simple, simple premise like this is so powerful yet so sweet. And yeah, no, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, it really touches on the emotional trifecta of cute animal, um, childhood nostalgia, and happy ending. <laughs> so it's uh, it's great. And, and like Jim said, it's not uh, necessarily uh, groundbreaking in the storytelling itself. It's a simple premise that uh, is wins a lot of hearts every time uh, somebody executes it really well. What's interesting to me is um, I grew up kind of in the era where DuckTales was on TV the first time around and Scrooge McDuck and, or, you know, the, the, some of those cartoons. But what's interesting is for my, my dad and also for my mother-in-law, they grew up in the, uh, you know, I guess the early 50s. And for them, reading these Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comic books was like a huge memory of their childhood. Uh, my dad grew up in a in a you know, very poor family. And you know, they didn't even have power uh, until he was, I think, uh, 10 or 11 years old. And so this was like one of those luxuries, you know, for him getting a hold of a Donald Duck comic book. Uh, and my mother-in-law talks about that all the time, too, of, of just like how, you know, how important those were to her as a kid. So so this had like some interesting kind of cross-generational resonance. Like, I don't know if I've ever actually seen a Donald Duck comic book. Uh, but you know, it it just I was like suddenly picturing you know this these previous generations, and and then of course they tie it back in, uh, and also just you know if, as a parent, you know Jim Jim's got two daughters, and I've got two kids, and you know when you take you, you as you get older, you kind of get embittered about theme parks and oh they're expensive and oh they're oh, it's just everything so much and so long and takes all this time and effort, and then when you see at a certain age, especially the way kids just kind of just embrace these the you know mascots or the the just the sheer joy they feel and it kind of just washes away all of that all that cynicism that we have as you know consumers who just have had to pay a small fortune to get there that really is the moment you know for me I remember it was my daughter hugging uh, Tiana from uh, Princess and the Frog you know when she found her we had to like track her down and just I have this great photo of her and she looks exactly like the duckling, just eyes closed, squeezing her as tight as she can when, you know, my daughter was probably maybe like three or four. Uh, and so, yeah, just, it, it's kind of funny how many little emotional memories and everything just kind of came flooding in once I, once I watched this ad. You definitely have to uh, check your cynicism at the door uh, for sure. Um, and just like go with it. Well, I did want to talk about one other ad. Uh, this one's a little more audio friendly, uh, so we can listen. To also, just a fun premise. I, I like when ads creatively, when they swing for the fences, not just in terms of execution, but in terms of like, you can just hear a creative pitching this idea and everyone just kind of be like, what? Eh, I don't know. What Could we do that? And so this was... Uh, for a company called Thomas Cook, uh, which is a UK-based kind of travel booking and travel-related uh, company. Uh, but the premise here, well, let's, let's just go ahead and, and play some of the audio so you can hear the setup at the beginning. This is the story of the man who wakes up in a different bed every single day. He never knows where he's going to be from one morning to the next. Each day comes with its own unique set of challenges. Most days are tough. Some are lonely, and others are just plain weird. But every now and then, they're amazing. So as you can hear, uh, this is a man who wakes up in a different bed uh, every single day. Uh, it reminded me of Quantum Leap or um, a, f a few other different, you know, there's been a few of these uh, shows or uh, movies and things where people hop around. I mean, maybe a little bit like Groundhog Day, uh, kind of the opposite, I guess, of Groundhog Day, like you wake up in a different place each day. Uh, and I mean, I thought the payoff was kind of fun that this guy is trapped in this infinite purgatory basically of waking up in different places but every once in a while he lucks out 
uh, and and just falls into this you know pretty nice hotel and gets to enjoy it for a day and gets to go on a date. You see him like actually having a nice time, and then it's back to the next morning. He's hanging off a cliff <laughs> in a sleeping bag in the middle of like a the Himalayas or whatever. Uh, but just I to me, this is one where you know maybe not one of the best ads of the year, but just that concept. I was like, this would make a good TV show. It's a. Uh, it had sort of like it had some like dystopian elements to it. I was like, hmm, is this sort of black black mirror? <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. But uh, but then the uh, then the payoff of him waking up and looking out over the ocean when he you know, when he when he hits the lottery of you know waking up in a, in a beautiful place. Then I was like, oh, okay, I got it now, and it's it, it made sense. But at first, I was a little like, what, what is this? This this is kind of dark. Well, and it's one of those ads you think about for a while after you see it. You know, it might not be. As you said, uh, Griner, it might not be the the most incredible um, ad of the year, but it's certainly an ad that sticks with you. And is that not what every advertiser is trying to accomplish to some extent? Yeah, it just reminds me of like, you know, when I was younger reading these like sci-fi magazines used to be more of a thing. My, my dad would always get them. I'm going to see how many times my dad can come up in this one podcast. Um, but the... Uh, the you know he would read all these like analog and Isaac Asimov science fiction magazine and that's that's what made those fun is that they weren't great stories but they were fun ideas and and that it would kind of stick with you. Uh, I should note uh, that this one is also very similar to a piece from 2012, which was kind of this iconic uh, campaign of branded content from Toshiba and uh, Intel called Beauty Inside. Um, Jim, I can't remember if you were at uh, Cannes that year in 2013. This I think the year before I started going. Uh, but Pereira Nodell just cleaned up uh, with that campaign. They won three Grand Prix, uh, the 23 uh, Cannes lines. But the idea was that uh, someone wakes up in a new body uh, every day. Um, and, uh, and, you know, of course that creates these questions about identity and, and it was really ahead of its time. If you think about it in terms of like may opening these questions about gender and how does your, you know, physical body or any of these, you know, aspects define who you are as a person. Uh, and in fact, they ended up, uh, and I didn't know this until we wrote this story that that piece, that, uh, Intel Toshiba campaign ended up inspiring a Korean movie, and then the Korean movie was so popular, they made a Korean TV show out of it, all, all of them called Beauty Inside. Uh, so this thing had some legs. <laughs> like it, you know, it's interesting to see an ad campaign that became a movie that became a TV show. Uh, and then also last year, uh, there was a movie called Every Day, which I don't think was a big hit, but I remember seeing trailers for it. But again, kind of a cool concept of this spirit uh, named A, just the letter A, like wakes up in a new body every single day, uh, but I think is always in the same town, uh, but just hops around, like, so wakes up in a different place uh, each time and kind of inhabits someone's body for a day. But he falls in love, like, Twilight style, you know, immortal creature falls in love with a high schooler. Uh, and, you know, it's a, kind of a romantic drama about her trying to have this relationship with this thing that jumps around and kind of being a metaphor for how you can love someone doesn't really matter what they are physically. Uh, but anyway, so there's been a lot of this kind of uh, jumping around coming up, but good on Thomas Cook for just creating an ad that makes you think of travel in a way that's a little different than just being like, you should travel more. Your life is awful. <laughs> yeah, well, and there's something nice too about the idea, you know, when you're traveling and you are waking up in a different room every day, I, I know that's not really the premise of the ad, right? But but there's a you you if you are a frequent traveler you notice the distinctions between waking up somewhere where you're like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm here versus waking up somewhere that is relaxing and I think it's kind of tapping into that too um, you know he is a he is a frequent traveler in the most upsetting sort of <laughs> scenarios um, so so it's a good plug I think Kelsey and I this is especially. Uh, Fresh for Kelsey and I coming off of CES because every morning you wake up in CES, it feels like a different place. <laughs> what, what fresh hell of Las Vegas are we in today? Um, well, speaking of which, let's uh, we're going to take a quick little break here, and then we will be back to talk about CES and everything you guys learned and discovered and how the future is coming to life. Uh, so we'll be right back. Thanks again to the sponsor of this week's episode, Facebook, which has a new podcast called Three and a Half Degrees, The Power of Connection. As we mentioned earlier, each episode of this new podcast features conversations with two of the smartest people in business today. 
let's listen to a bit of the newest episode's chat with Tom's founder, Blake Mykoski. Bootstrap as much as you can, because if it's not going to work, then you haven't put yourself in a huge deficit and you can go back to your job or to something else. And if it does work, like in my case, well, then owning that equity is really valuable. Look for Three and a Half Degrees, spelled out, wherever you get your podcasts or visit facebook.com slash three and a half degrees to learn more and subscribe. That's Three and a Half Degrees, a new podcast from Facebook. All right, we are back and we're ready to talk CES. This is the Consumer Electronics Show, one of the largest. What are some superlatives on this one, Jim or Kelsey? You guys know off the top of your head. I mean, it's got to be one of the largest conventions of its kind in, in the world, in America at the very least. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's, it has a massive footprint. Um, the convention center is colossal. Uh, but the thing about CES that's also amazing is that it, it's, it sort of uh, spiders out from the convention center into respective hotels. And there, there are a bunch of different convention floors. There's a startup village at the Venetian. So it is, it is massive. It's, it's fast paced. Um, it's uh, kinetically confusing. Uh, you're also in Las Vegas, which is um, kinetically confusing too on a n- <laughs> bunch of different uh uh, front, so no one sleeps. Um, you're just running and gunning the entire time. I will say though, it's it's a great way to start the year. It's a little painful coming off the holidays to jump right into it, but I do feel like each time I go, I come back with uh, a little bit of a roadmap of t- where, uh, at least in the macro sense, uh, where. I should be thinking and where Adweek should be thinking in terms of technology, media, and marketing. I don't know. Kelsey, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, this is my first time going to CES, so I really went in and had no idea what to expect. But uh, it is colossal, <laughs> I think, is one of the best words. And and uh, just it, it, not just an opportunity to, to see what um, what is emerging for the year ahead, uh, but also to figure out what how different – platforms are are selling themselves this year when and seeing how different companies are are connecting and looking for opportunities to partner and so it's a huge networking bonanza uh, in addition to you know an opportunity for for companies to show off the the physical tech that they're working on um, but for for partnerships to be made for deals to be struck uh, so it's really uh, a unique conference to or convention to to get to attend. So Kelsey, why don't you start us off here? Tell us, um, you know, what did you see that really made you not just think like that is definitely the future, but like that's the near future. You know, we're not looking at going to space. We're we're looking at a thing that might actually be in homes within a year or two that that currently is is not something people are even thinking about. What did, what did you see in that space? Well, something that I noticed when I was there was I actually took a self-driving lift from one hotel to another trying to get to a a, a meeting uh, and it was really interesting to see how, you know, the self-driving car conversation has changed from uh, the, these sort of garish vehicles with huge things on top of uh, uh, on top of them too. It's actually implemented in in some cities around the country. So that to me is is very near. You know, it's that's happening now. That's that's not a uh, far off uh, conversation. To you know, to what extent that's going to happen? To the the speed at which adoption rates. Uh, happen are you know kind of is up in the air i to from what i can tell but but it's happening um and it's happening in ways that are more subtle and you know i just opened up a lift app to call a car and it was available to me so um you know with that said there are a lot of there's a lot of interest in in what that's going to change for consumers in vehicles and uh Patrick, my colleague, uh, another tech reporter at Adweek, wrote about how Intel and Warner Brothers were exploring how to change the experience within a car in terms of entertainment. Because if you are not driving the vehicle, then, of course, you have lots of other options. And uh, marketers and brands obviously want to be want to be there front and center. So that's going to be a really interesting emerging space Um you know, but that's a conversation we've been having for a couple of years. I think in the industry is what what the self driving car phenomenon is going to mean for everybody involved. How, how did it feel to be in one? I've, I, you know, was it nerve wracking? Were you just like, oh, this is kind of neat? 
It was cool. I mean, it was there is a big screen in the center and you can see how the car is calculating everything. And um, it was it was very safe. There were two I mean, there were two uh, people in the car, one who was behind the wheel uh, and then another who was sort of explaining the tech so that nobody had to feel nervous about what was going on. Um, Safety was obviously a a big uh, priority. when they were when they were kind of explaining how how it worked but it was a smooth ride and i think that's again it's it's when you experience it it's uh it's underwhelming in that nothing though you know the car didn't sprout wings or anything <laughs> terrifying it but the the fact that it was so smooth i think was kind of the most remarkable of all i didn't really know what to expect I love how we're at this like halfway point with self-driving where like the technology works, but there's still these kind of safeguards. Like you mentioned, there's usually someone behind the wheel or I think there has to be. Um, but like my brother-in-law got a pretty nice new luxury car recently and he was like, oh, watch this. And he put it on the self-drive mode and you tap the uh, the <clears throat> turn signal and the car automatically changes lanes. Like it does it on its own. You, you, he didn't even have his hands on the steering wheel. And I was like, and it just felt so effortless and perfect. And of course it scans to make sure nothing's over there. But then after a certain amount of time, like 30 seconds or a minute or something, it says, okay, you know, put, put your hands back on the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> like this little indicator comes up that's like, that's, that's all. It's basically just there so that you can fiddle around with stuff and kind of set it on for, a, for like a minute. And then that's as much as they're willing <laughs> to go along with it. Uh, Jim, what what did you see that was kind of like, oh, I can totally see this being part of our lives within, you know, two years or so? Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of uh, following up on what Kelsey was saying. The, the autonomous trend was everywhere. I mean, it was, you know, robots, cars. Um, and the, the I think sort of like the, one of the big macro, um, you know, discussion points during the week was that 5G is really uh, uh, going to come on – Actually, quite quite soon, um, and you know, it, there there are lots of discussions about how five G is the new electricity and how that's going to it's going to have such a massive impact on you know the driverless car. It'll, it'll remove late, latency issues, which is always a concern when you're you know driving a car um, powered by a computer. Uh, you don't want any sort of gaps there, and five G will clean that up. Um, but it also has massive implications in terms of the you know, the, the connectivity of things in the uh, simple as the uh, your kitchen. I, th- you know, I thought some of the more interesting things I saw were sort of the connected kitchen, um, you know, how that's going to function with machine learning uh, and all, any of the sort of the retail and commerce implications of that. Um, and there are also like really simple things like this uh, French company with a mouth guard uh, toothbrush that can, you know, sort of clean your teeth in 10 seconds and, uh, it's called Y brush, uh, and uh, it looks kind of. It doesn't look very appealing, but um, it, it, it was just something really simple, and it has the ability to sort of to sort of adjust itself to know where your your plaque problems are. It's kind of gross, but like that's oh, a wow. pretty real example of uh, something that's going to probably be in our bathrooms pretty soon. So uh, wow. you know, again, back to what I was saying before, this is why CS is so cool: is that you 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 will see things where you're like, oh wow, I can see that happening soon and um that's that can be very very exciting something that you know jim when you mentioned this toothbrushing mechanism um you know the fact that that there is such an interest in developing tech that can use data about individuals and really personalize the consumer care experience. That was something I talked to uh, Neutrogena, L'Oreal, and uh, P&G about uh, in the kind of the development of their products, especially in the personal care and beauty space. Uh, there is such an interest in, in uh, building tools that can help deliver a really personalized uh experience, you know, being able to use, uh, you know, information about the pH on your face to then, you know, recommend certain products um, or in uh Johnson & Johnson, Neutrogena's case, uh, you know, being able to scan a person's face and then build a custom face mask for them, right? That's a really interesting trend that that I noticed as well. There's a real, their real interest in being able to deliver, uh, you know, personalized experiences using tech um, in really uh, interesting um, ways, maybe ways that you wouldn't have imagined, like a mouth guard that functions as a toothbrush. 
Yeah. There was also this, this uh, really back to sort of back to auto. There was something called a, a steering wheel um, called I think it was called Be Secure, and you basically hold on to the steering wheel. It it picks up your your, your unique heartbeat. And then adjusts the car to you, um, but it also uh, monitors your stress level and your drowsiness level, um, which is I thought was incredibly cool. And I can again to your point, David, I can see that being in cars really soon because it has such great uh, safety implications. But there's a lot of amazing science uh, and just makes the car experience safer and more personalized. Kelsey's point and better. Nice. The you know I feel like we can't talk CES without talking voice, uh, voice activation. Uh, you know this. I I feel like every CES for the past forty years has like painted this the home of tomorrow, where you know you walk in and you yell for your or you don't even have to tell it. You know everything comes on the way you want it to, and you control everything without having to lift a finger. But I feel like we earnestly are getting there. Uh, it's just a matter of kind of getting to the point of mainstream adoption of the tech. But I feel like if the biggest success of the major tech platforms of the last year for Google, for Amazon, really was just getting these devices into homes because you 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 know you can't build uh, these things piecemeal. You can't have like, oh, I'm going to have smart lighting and then a separate brand and a separate app for my smart you know, audio and, and all that other stuff. And, and so I'm curious what you saw in terms of kind of what's next for voice. Well, I mean, as I was saying before, the uh, one of the core things I saw when we were walking, I was walking the floor is um, – you know, sort of the, I guess you'd call it the kitchen pavilion, but like where, you know, appliances from blenders to ovens are, you know, hyper-connected and, and voice-enabled. And it is, it's very Jetson-y. I know it sounds sort of cliche uh, and silly, but it's you are, you know, communicating with uh, this sort of connected uh, microwave. Uh, it's gathering information about you. And, you know, again, it has massive implications on you know, retail and shopping and basically how your cupboard functions. And, you know, companies like General Mills are, you know, really sort of um, talking about how they as a company can establish a, a, a voice identity in the cupboard and in the kitchen. And it's, I think it's a, uh, it's one of those things that's sort of like, uh, you know, sort of autonomous. Um, it's pretty close. And I think that, um we're going to see a lot more of it, you know, in the next year. And I think more and more kitchens will have appliances that this sort of technology comes standard on. I don't know. What do you think, Kelsey? Yeah, well, I think uh, you also saw the interest at, you know, Google spent a lot of money in uh, advertising at CES, particularly around uh, its smart home devices. Um, you know, Hey Google was all over digital billboards and There's all. There's a huge digital board, billboard that at night, if your hotel was anywhere close to that, you weren't sleeping. Yeah, yeah, so and uh, so <laughs> so it's not it's not just you know from the from the consumer standpoint it's coming, but but there are a lot of companies that are betting really big on on being the the platform that you choose when you're looking to for some kind of cohesive solution because Jim, as you said, you can't have these. Or, or maybe it was Greiner who's, who said about, uh, you know, you can't have – you have to have this all in kind of connected together. You can't have separate apps for for each light bulb in your house. <laughs> yeah, and for us, you know, it's like we've talked about this on the podcast. I mean, I, I certainly have no preference. I mean, we own probably one of everything just to play around with. But we've kind of become a Google – uh, home, uh, no pun intended, you know, where it's like we have those devices kind of spread out. Uh, we've got, I even got the Google Mesh Wi-Fi, which, uh, you know, they just, you kind of find yourself falling in, whether it's Amazon or whoever you, and then you start looking when you're looking at upgrading, you want to get, you know, you want to get apps, you want to get software and stuff that, that plays well with those things you already have in your house. So, I mean, that land war for getting in people's houses has been, worth, you know, worth whatever price cuts. <laughs> I have a feeling there was a lot of loss leader kind of pricing uh, on the part of Amazon and Google because those things got to the point where they were just dirt cheap uh, to, to get. They say, or they'll just, they sent me one for free on accident. And then they're like, yeah, just keep it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay. uh, you know, it's so yeah, it's like Amazon just airs on the side of like, whatever, just put it in your house. Just, we just need more of these out there. And now, you know, what's funny is, you know, Jim mentions the kitchen. Of course, I'm a big kitchen nerd. You know, I cook constantly, but still it's, to me, that's the testing ground of voice. That's the, that's where I use 90% of voice activation is because your hands are tied up, right? It's like the definitive, I, my hands are busy. 
and I really don't want to be touching things uh, because I'm, I'm kind of got just gunk all over myself. And, you know, or you have other people and you have 10 different recipes going at different times and all this stuff. And so that's, man, I have to say, like, that's when I use the yelling for my devices to set timers, to remind me of things, to pull up recipes. I got my uh, parents one of those. Oh, it's third time my dad's coming. Oh. I'll say I got my dad. <laughs> um, hat, hat trick of Don Griner. Um, the, uh, I got them a... Uh, Oh, now I'm going to forget the name. The Amazon uh, Alexa Show. Does that sound right? The It's the I think so. d- device device with a screen. Uh, it's the second generation one, the newer one. Um, but it's it's basically just a appliance, com- you know, touch computer that you put on your kitchen counter. And I asked them after a few weeks, you know, like, are you using it? What are you using it for? And they're like, recipes. <laughs> it's just like it's the recipe machine uh, because you know it'll pull it up and you can do you can navigate it without touching anything but that one just came out uh, like I think very end of December that second generation device so they're, they're obviously still just kind of getting these out the door but um, but anyway let's let's talk about uh, some other trends you saw just kind of open it up I know this thing was uh, uh, just a carnival of bizarre ideas were there any that made you th- Got your attention, even if they aren't necessarily the future. Um, sure. Like the, uh, we did a lot of video coverage, and one of the uh, you know people that we spoke to uh, was this woman named Ginny McCormick, who's a VP of Integrated Media and Omnichannel Promotions at Hasbro. And um, so we really talked about the future of play and um, how uh, esports and gaming uh, are really sort of transforming what, what it means to be a fan. And, sh- you know, they're looking to create the fan economy with their uh, with their, some of these very old uh, toy and game products, you know, ranging from Transformers and Dungeons & Dragons, Magic the Gathering, and even Monopoly, uh, to really sort of uh, take uh, that engagement to the next level with these, with these classic, some, you know, m- over 100-year-old uh, brands. And uh, they're using... Uh, Data and uh, the technology on display at the, on the floor to you know enhance the storytelling around these brands, um, which I thought was really cool and fun. Hey, Kelsey, what what, what jumped out at you? Uh, just what what is some of the weirdest stuff you saw? Uh, well, you know, I I have to admit, I never made it to the showroom. To I never made it to the convention center because I had I had booked myself with with back to back meetings all the time. But something I I did notice when I was having conversations with some of the platforms, uh, Twitter or Facebook. Um, is that Facebook in particular is really betting on this uh, this shift in consumer uh, behavior to stories, um, and that's going to have you know from their perspective a really profound impact on on everything from the creative that um, that advertisers are putting on the platform to how they think about what you know how their platform. Uh, works and and operates and that's going to be really interesting and and Twitter too is floating a lot of changes to to its platform um, and we could see in the next uh, twelve months we could see a Twitter that is really going back to its roots um, whether it's status updates um, to try to get more people involved in in the conversation to uh, message like features so that whether that's chat bubbles that to look more like an SMS service um, to to other uh, other features that really uh, kind of make it they hope uh, more engaging uh, for their users as they really try to grow their user base and while simultaneously cracking down on the abuse on their platform so that's going to be really interesting um, for all the people who work on those platforms every day um, for for whether it's promoting content or you know sharing their brand stories, um, that will have big implications as well. David, some of the things I saw on the floor that I thought were particularly cool were you know uh, Kelsey m- made reference to Patrick Culp's story about Intel and Warner Brothers. Um, they had a tricked out uh, BMW SUV, uh, and they basically showed how they can use the screens on the car, the, the glass on the car, uh, to create this uh, 260 degree you know, video uh, profile uh, where they were showing Warner, Warner Brothers videos, but also their comic uh, content, which was really beautiful. Um, but that, like, that has an amazing, uh, you know, implications. You know, I think they're estimating that there's, it's going to, autonomous could save like 250 million hours of free time. And that could create a $200 million marketplace for content and advertising. So that this is, this is potentially, is cool, but also has a, you know, 
you know, amazing sort of marketplace implications too, which is, you know, interesting for us here at Adwe to think about. The other stuff I thought was amazing. I think you would have loved the Bell Nexus full-size drone, David. That was beyond belief. Um, so, <laughs> Yeah, I saw a discussion. I mean, how big are we talking? It's, it was huge. It was like, I, it, it was hard. I mean, it looks like a smallish helicopter, but like yeah, like I'm picturing the thing at the beginning of Terminator. Yeah, no, it had, <laughs> that's like that's like flying around. It was very it was very Terminator esque. It was almost a little intimidating um, <laughs> walking up to it, but uh, that was really fun to see. You know, that's another thing about CS is you sort of can get you know gobsmacked when you see something like that. And then the other thing I thought was really interesting was Harley Davidson's new electric electric uh, motorcycle called Livewire, and the demo that they did was really cool. <laughs> There was also, uh, I was talking to my sister about CES and she said she saw a, uh, a walking car of some kind, um, sort of had four separate legs so it can go upstairs. So, uh, the robot apocalypse is definitely coming. (laughs) Yeah. The robots were, robots were really everywhere. And the the one that was, that the creepiest robot were the sort of social robots, which are designed to make you feel better about yourself. By having one, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm buying one mm. immediately. <laughs> you have to buy one for the buy one for the you office. You are the best. <laughs> the uh, you, you know I I I have to admit like Black Mirror really kind of came at both the perfect time and the the worst time, right? Because once you've watched a Black Mirror episode about any tech any technology. <laughs> You are like biased against that thing for the rest of your life. So like the, I believe the episode called Metalhead uh, about robot dogs. Uh, there were have, have robot dogs seen? at CES. Yep. And they, they <laughs> behaved exactly like the Metalhead dogs in that horrifying episode. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because they did such a good job of basing the design in those on. And they were obviously making fun of the Boston Robotics or whatever it's called. Like that you always see of, they're teaching this robot to kick open doors. <laughs> they're teaching this robot how to overpower a human. I'm like, what are you doing, guys? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's like that. a few of those episodes, yeah, they just, they, they, I mean, it's good. I just, I always try to take a step back and be like, that's good. Because we need to be thinking about these, like, worst case scenarios. And, and developers, programmers, the people who build things, they don't always think about the unintended consequences so much. Uh, and, and so it is interesting. But man, uh, now now I'm just picturing where I would use the ability for my car to climb stairs. <laughs> like, it would make uh, if this feature had been available in any kind of like Grand Theft Auto video game. I would always use it, like evading the police by just going up uh, flights of stairs. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, about climbing it. In, over in, in, other cars. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like any kind of uh, jerk that that double parks on on in a parking lot, you can just climb over. <laughs> um, but uh, but <laughs> all right, well, it's good to know. It's good to know they're building things uh, just in case, just in case we ever need them. But well, this has been a super fun. One of these days, I'll have to make it out to CES. It's on the one hand, I never like I'm never really in the mood to go plow right after Christmas and the holidays to go dive into a massive, you know, just bafflingly huge conference uh, and convention. But uh, you know, I'm fascinated by seeing what comes out of it. And our, our coverage was stellar. Definitely check out uh, Adweek CES. You'll find all of our our coverage from there. Uh, as Jim mentioned, lots of great video content, so much good video content. So, uh, be sure to check all that out if, if you weren't there and you want to catch up and, uh, yeah, we're, we're out of time. Uh, Jim, Kelsey, thank you both so much for uh, coming on this week. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, David. It was really fun. Well, our theme music is by home. This episode was edited by Lane McGibbony and produced by Andre Fernando with audio production by Josh Rios. Uh, big thanks to all of them. Please take a moment, if you haven't already, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, but they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek. We will be back next week.